Well, thank you, Renata, for taking the time to be on my show. I really appreciate it. I know you're super busy helping everyone rescue their businesses. <laughs> so I don't know if you maybe just kickstart us by telling us a little bit about yourself, about your business, what you do, how you ended up doing what you do now, just to kind of set the scene a little bit for us. Yeah, sure. And, and thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I certainly really love working with the smaller business owners and, and to optimize their businesses. And that's really what got me into Noble Prosperity, my business. Really, since 2001, I was actually in trust accounting and administration. I, I first worked with a company and then I was the managing director of another firm. And then in 2009, I think, I started a company called I Protect Trust Account. And there um, I was a co-founder and a shareholder. And again, there we ran um, an accounting firm specializing in trust accounting. And when I started, it, it, we started very small. And by the time I sold out my shares, we were the biggest trust accounting firm in South Africa. Oh, wow. And what I found there is as much as I love the trust accounting, what I found is I was dealing with business owners. That was why we had the trusts. We were restructuring businesses, restructuring the trusts, looking at the estates, so restructuring real estates as well for uh, optimal tax planning and risk mitigation. And I found that most business owners had, yes, we do want to deal with the tax, and yes, we want to deal with the with the um, estate component of our lives, but we need help in our businesses. And that really drove me into stepping out of the trust scene per se, or really just only focusing on trusts and focusing much wider because I've got a, a knowledge base that stretches over trusts, estates, tax, and financial planning, as well as psychology and coaching. I wanted to bring this all together and work hands-on with business owners. And I found that I was able to, in a, in a very quick short time span with a very targeted approach, I was really able to turn businesses around. So I can literally go into a business and between three weeks and three months, we can have immense turnaround in those businesses from maybe getting it stabilized or turning profits or fixing team dynamics or bringing in teams that are required. Or even I've dealt with businesses where we wanted an exit strategy where people that build businesses, they now needed to retire or emigrate, and they actually wanted to now hand over these businesses and leave a legacy. And we then would have to go into the exit strategy without destroying the business. So it's, it's uh, I love it. It's like building a puzzle, really, because every business is different. Every business owner is different because you're dealing with the psychology of the business owner. You're dealing with the psychology of the team's. You're dealing with the actual psychology of the business and the industry that that business is in. And I mean, like I've over the just over the last two and a half years that I've been with Noble now, I've dealt with from curtain manufacturers to electricians to the other day a um, let's call it a, a, a sweets retailer, a candy retailer. So so interesting that the vast different types of people. A lot of my clients are also financial planners because I've. I am a certified financial planner. So although I don't sell any of the products and I don't offer per se the financial services products, I work very closely with financial planners and their clients to secure not only their estates, but to do proper business optimization, the estate optimization, working hand in hand with those financial planners to help their clients. So I think that was where I found 
that there is a niche and a need for my services because I have uh, maybe a, a quite a, a vast range of expertise, if I can call it that, and experience in the various fields. I could just tie together and, and really bring all those bits and bobs together to help a particular person. Because some people may need help with their tax, others may need help with planning, some may need help with strategy. And for me, I can step into a business and deal with it unemotionally. And that's the one thing I think has also been a great benefit for me because for the most part, your business is quite an emotional affair. Dealing with the money in your business and dealing with the team, the staff, the employees, whatever you want to call them, but the warm bodies that form part of your business, those two aspects really make it quite an emotional pot that you have to deal with on a daily basis. And then you go and throw COVID in and it makes it even more emotional. Yeah. So for me, that's also, I sometimes say, a superpower because the more emotional and the more chaotic a situation can be, it's almost like this calmness comes over me and it's like, oh, okay, I need to pull out what are really the aspects that need to be addressed and getting behind the real challenges. Because when you speak to someone and you do like a little, I don't want to really call it an interview, but generally what I do is I have a, a one-hour session with anyone that I am considering working with and that's considering working with me to see if it's a fit and whether I am going to be of service there. And in that session, they always say to me, okay, well, what must I bring to the meeting? And I say, absolutely nothing. Because I want to gauge what you think are your challenges. And through me working with them for an hour, I can actually determine what are the actual true challenges. Mm. And very often the two are quite removed because what the business owner will be dealing with is actually the effects of the challenge, not the real challenge. You know, it's their emotions and what they are feeling, the results of what's going perceived wrong. Yeah, yeah. Business. So that's really what we do in Noble. Okay. When you speak about business optimization, you, you kind of delved a little bit into that now in your in your preamble. You're speaking mainly about processes, aren't you, in terms of optimizing processes, whether it's on the financial side or on the, the human uh, resources side. Is that just basically putting processes in place, whether it's a strategy or an HR or a financial side? To a certain extent, processes. So what I try and do is I always look at the, uh, I refer to this economy of movement. What, what is it that you need to put in to get the maximum result? What is the cost to benefit exercise in anything? Mm. Whether it is the, the humans, the warm bodies in your business, whether it is the finances, whether it is the marketing, whether it is the, like you say, the systems, the programs you use, any component in your business, even as far down as uh, manufacturing. What is the components you bring in? What are the components you're using? I mean, the one client I worked with, we're looking at bringing uh, in an extra building to create a workshop warehouse situation. And it was the whole strategy and the planning to make that a reality and to bring that forward. Because they thought they would only be able to do it by December. Then COVID kicked in and they said, okay, now it's only going to be next year, July. I worked with them literally for a couple of days and the last time I spoke to them was the Thursday. By the Monday, they contacted me and said, okay, are we doing this in the company name or a trust? They had managed to secure the deal. Oh, wow. So it's all about what you need to do. So, yes, there is definitely systems and processes, but systems and processes only work when we're talking duplicatable transactions. So if there's something that's rinse and repeat, doing a rinse and repeat is ridiculous if you can put a system 
in, pro, uh, in place. So systems and processes work very well for anything can, that can be duplicated. Policies and procedures are exceptionally important if you want to take the thinking out of things. So these are the rules. This is how we do things. There's no question about it. That's the way that you can then um, manage your staff, manage your productivity, take away politics in your business, but also control your, your output and your quality. So policies and procedures is very important. I often find with small businesses that, you know, it's the, the person that has a brilliant idea, that's his superpower. He's really great at something. He flies off and he goes and he does that. And then as the business grows, the uncle, she joins and the wife joins and then we uh, do an appointment. But there's never the HR, there's never the proper systems, there's never proper policies and procedures. We never actually had a budget versus actuals. So the figures weren't looked at properly. So it's always reactive. It's always plugging a hole. And that's what I try and fix, is to go in and see what can we do to be proactive rather than reactive. Okay. Also with teams, especially with the um, leaders in the teams or when you want to bring in new team members that could change the dynamic. So if you're quite a small company and you need to bring in a new warm body, and that could change the dynamics in your business. What we do is I work very closely with a profiling tool called Contribution Compass. And what that does is it actually measures the contribution of any individual in a particular business. Hmm. Um, for instance, if you need a marketing person, that marketing person would need certain contribution factors to contribute to the team. And that's what you want to test for. Because what often happens is we employ more of us. We employ people that we can talk to, that think the same as us, that does the same as us. Mm. But that doesn't take our business forward because the reason we're not going forward is because there's too many of us and too few others. Yeah. And that's what that tool brings in. So that's also one of the things that I would do is I would bring that in to also pinpoint where we have a lack and where we need to focus. And I'm very strong on we don't need to necessarily employ. I am very big on outsource where you can, have joint ventures where you have part-time where you can. Because of our labor laws and our challenges with labor, specifically in this country and with strikes in this country, people are very wary of employing, mm. which means now they don't, which means the company doesn't go forward. You don't grow because you don't have the warm bodies to work. Yeah. And that's where once people get over that and they realize, but I don't need to have a payroll person. I just need a warm body that shares my values, that shares my view that I can have to do certain work. For instance, your marketing, your IT, um, whatever it is, your bookkeeper. I mean, for years, people have outsourced their bookkeeping, their marketing, their IT. So why not do that? So that's also, you know, to change those mindsets. So I think it's more than just, to get back to your question, I think it's more than just systems. I think it's also working on the mindset. It's understanding all the moving parts finding which moving parts aren't working optimally and fixing those first. Well, you mentioned mindset, and I, I want to obviously circle back to that. Straight off the sure. bat, obviously, you were chatting about streamlining and optimizing. So obviously, as a business, whether you're a micro business, as a solopreneur or a small business or, well, any size business, really, you should be looking at ways of streamlining your expenses and your processes, but it's somehow it's quite easy to lose what proverbial kind of slow puncture in amongst yes. the daily activities because your focus is elsewhere and you're kind of putting out fires. There's 
not necessarily bigger issues, but there's more priority deadline-driven issues that you're chasing. So obviously COVID-19 has kind of thrown into the spotlight how important it actually is to to be streamlined in your business. What would your advice be to a small business owner who needs to relook at their bottom line and make cuts? How do you go about making the, the correct cuts and optimizing your existing resources? Okay, so this I've now specifically seen in the last couple of weeks and months that I've been working with businesses is that knee-jerk reaction. We just want to cut. And, and it's so valid what you're saying. It's the right cuts. You can't just cut for the sake of cutting. And also, let's cut the people. It's not necessarily that. I think you first need to understand what your figures tell you. How many of these people, before they start making cuts, actually have management accounts? Do they actually have management accounts where they know what those figures tell them? I mean, yesterday or the day before, I was doing um, a, an interview with a business owner. And she said, oh, do you have management accounts? I get them every month. I said, but what do they tell you? She said, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. They, they, they tell me that I sold stuff. I said, but what is your shrinkage? Because you are a retail store. What is your shrinkage? What is your stock? Are you ordering the right stock? How long are you carrying certain stock items for? So it's, it's understanding the picture that those figures give you. And then what is for me, I have such a passion about this right now in this COVID time, it's measuring your budget versus your actuals. Because whatever budget we may have had by February or last year and what is now seen is very far removed from one another. So we need to measure our budget versus our actuals and see where we have veered off, why we have veered off and what we can bring back. Um, and, and like I said, we, we can't just think cut for the sake of cutting. We need to go and see what adjustments we need to make, what is going to have the most impact but the most sustainable long-term impact. Mm. Because sometimes we can cut something now, but it's going to have a very detrimental long-term effect. For example, marketing, because it's one of those long-term things, it's not exactly your sushi conveyor belt. You know, you put plug money in now and the next minute there's something coming out. Yeah, yeah. People will go, okay, we need to cut that marketing budget right now. That's the first thing that goes. The problem is that whatever you feed into that little funnel now will only yield results in a couple of months' time. Mm. So if you close that town, it means that in six months from now, there's still no business coming in. So I'm not saying don't cut or do cut. I'm saying understand when you are cutting. Negotiate where possible. I think there's a lot of landlords at the moment that are willing to cut people slack and that you can maybe negotiate. But then understand that if you are going to negotiate, you had better be in a position to recover. Yeah. I'll use an example of SARS that said, okay, we can now pay less on our pay-as-you-earn, you know, to catch up later. And everyone went, okay, cool, because we're only in lockdown for one month. Okay, now we're in lockdown for three months. But now the reality is kicking in that, oh, business is not recovering. So now I've taken that saving. I'm going to more catch up in September. But in the meanwhile, every time people open their shops, two days later they get notified, oh, no, there's been a COVID case in your shop. They have to lock the doors, decontaminate everything, shops closed. Oh, now the staff have to stay away for two weeks. So as you open your office door, next thing. And and that's the big problem. So how do they recover? And then, oh, come September, SARS is going, okay, now you've had that time with your page, you earn now, now you need to pay up. And if they can't, now they're going to incur penalties and interest. Yeah. So it's my concern that if you do negotiate, understand that sometime it's going to be called up. Really look at your operational expenses. So there are definitely those operational expenses that we can look at. For instance, if you have a virtual office 
and you no longer need the virtual office. Uh, so, like for instance, these you know these shared office spaces. Yeah. If you haven't been using your virtual office, and people have become used to you um, having your Zoom meetings, and that's become the new normal, and you know now no longer need your virtual office. It may only be costing you a thousand rand. Well, if it's a thousand rand that can plug another hole, maybe it's not necessary. Yeah. But on the other hand, you may actually have had a full-time office. And now you can go down to a virtual office and you still have the professional look and feel with the address and the telephone number. So you go down from a 20,000 rand a month to a virtual office 1,000 rand. Those are the kind of things that you can look at. And then where you do spend, spend wisely. I'll give you an example. So yesterday, I get an SMS from a motor dealer. You know, one of these marketing SMSs. Mm. And it says, this new motor vehicle, whatever car and brand, now available Call us on this number if you're interested. So, of course, my business brain kicks in and I'm going like, hold on a minute. Whoever advised this business is wasting their money. So, I pick up the phone and I phone the dealer principal. <laughs> I have to phone three times before I get through. So, now the guy answers. But you can hear he doesn't want to speak. And I say, listen, are you the dealer principal? Yes, he says. And it's almost like he's waiting for a hiding. All the people at that shop when I phone, they were all punch drunk. You could hear that they are just waiting to be shouted at. They are demotivated and deflated. And, mm. and I get it. I mean, it's really tough for everyone out there. So I said to him, listen, this is very unsolicited and uncalled for advice. And just hear me out before you put the phone down. He says, okay, cool. So I explained to him what I do for a living. And I say, I don't want any money for the school. I just want to point out to you where you can spend your money better. So I said to him, you know, if you want to send this message, you've taken up my time. Make it valuable. Put a link to the car. I don't know what this car is. I've never heard of this car. Now, I must go onto the internet to go and check if I actually want to. People are at home. They've got the time to click on a link and check this out. And don't tell them to call you. Say, click here for us to call you back. And it was like, you know, from the time he answered until the time I put the phone down, his whole energy changed. And it became a collaboration as opposed to, oh, please don't shout at me. You know, <laughs> it was it was wonderful. But it's, that's what I'm talking about. It's just being wise with where you spend, spend your money. Because yeah. that man is paying someone for that ad. That SMS that went out didn't go for, out for free. He yeah. paid someone for that campaign. Yeah. And it's money in the water. So that's what I would say is before you just start cutting. Unfortunately, there's not an answer where I can say to you, okay, cool, this is going to work for all businesses. This and this and this is where you cut. It doesn't work like that. There is no, for me, in my mind, with all the businesses I work with, I've not found one place where you can just go, okay, this is how I'm cutting. You have to look at business by business. Because also for some people, and I saw that, the first place people went to go and cut was stock. And those are the people that may, either they really couldn't afford their stock, or they really didn't care about having those staff back. Mm. But then you go and look at other guys that says, guys, I'm going to see what I can do. I'll cut to other places. I'm going to keep my staff going. Those are the guys that now have their staff working any which time they need to work. On a Saturday, on a Sunday, if there's an emergency thing that happens, those guys are online. Saturday at 7 o'clock in the morning, they're online if they need to because they're grateful to have their jobs. They are committed and they're part of a team. Mm. You've bought goodwill and culture that no amount of money otherwise would have bought. So it just depends on what is important to you as the business owner. What is your long-term goal plan? 
Okay. That's really what it's about as well. Awesome. I hope I've answered that for you. Yeah. <laughs> you have, yes. Okay. I would imagine that cost cutting is not the only challenge faced by business. And I'm not speaking just now during COVID. Just generally throughout a business's life, there are issues that come up. What are the kind of biggest issues that businesses face today? You've just mentioned that there's no kind of blanket approach. So we are kind of speaking about in very general terms about uh, not a very general topic. So it might be a little bit of a difficult question to answer, but have you noticed in your um, dealings with small businesses, is there something that keeps cropping up? Is there something that small and micro businesses continually do, not wrong, but they could do better to negate some of these challenges that crop up? Yeah, so I can tell you from micro to bigger organizations, um, in, the, in all the years that I've been in trust, so since 2001, that I've been dealing with business owners and even corporates, you know, managers, because like the, the top level managers often have the same problems as business owners. So not even separating those two. The few things that always came up, and I literally, I have worked over these years, I have worked with thousands and thousands of business owners, budgets and, and, and money. So the big problem was always they never had their financials, their budgets, or their management accounts on time. They were always complaining that they didn't have a figure. And if they did, they didn't know what it was telling them. Mm -hmm. So what would happen is they would receive these figures and the bookkeeper, accountant, and not talking bad of them because also the uh, the owner may not have briefed them properly. So the guy says, you are paying me to give you bookkeeping or accounting. Here we go. I'm giving you what you paid me for. At no point do they understand from one another, yes, but someone needs to explain these figures. What is the picture here? Mm. And that was so there's a breakdown in communication. So it was about the figures, so either the timing or the understanding of it. They didn't know what their figures told them if they had the luxury of having those figures. The other thing was always teams, employees, staff, teams. And that would tie back to either culture or productivity or morale. So, so it was always for me, I picked up, it was either the money or the people. Mm. Those were the two things that came through. And then, of course, the one could say the, the other thing that has come through in the last number of years is the political climate um, and the red tape that goes with it in business. Mm. So, so that has been the three major things. Now, about the political climate, there's nothing I can do. And I certainly also don't specialize in going on the BE side or the legal side of things when it comes to that. I, I, I can outsource a lot of that work. But as far as the finances and the people things are concerned, that is why I then got involved to try and work on those things. But those are really your major things. Yeah. And if you can just start with something and th- that's also the beauty is if you start right from onset and you have the right things in place and you understand what they tell you and that even with your staff and your teams when you have processes and places you remove a lot of that frustration because unfortunately what happens is sometimes you do get to a tipping point where when you've had nothing in place and you've been employing the wrong person too many a time the culture has gone so toxic that you can't fix it anymore. Mm. It becomes really, really problematic. And it hampers your business. It can really, really destroy your business. Yeah. So those are the things that I have picked up that literally has been a blanket approach. So when, when I deal with business owners and they go to me, no, you know what, I only have, we only need to look at my figures. My team's sorted. We don't have any issues with our staff. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I want to put that on the record. <laughs> because you don't hear it often. Yeah. Really, you don't hear it often. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> is there a point, say now you've, you've had a look at the business and uh, you've tried to fix the processes and you, you eventually reach a point where you kind of like, it's actually just time to call it quits now. There's no way of rescuing this business. Is there any way to rescue a company that's kind of teetering on the edge? You know, it's, it's, it's difficult because you read any business book and they're like, you have to have resilience, you have to persevere, you have to hang in there because, you know, if you, as long as you keep working, you'll eventually realize your goal and all that kind of thing but surely there comes a time where as a business owner you look at your business you look at the financials and you say to yourself I can't go on another day like this is there a way to rescue a company like that or is it kind of past the point of no return there's there's two things one has to look at here there's first of all the emotional side of things and then there's the technical side of things so on the technical side of things I'm also qualified as an executive deceased and insolvent estates. And what I can tell you is I stay very far away from insolvent estates because it is not only a very emotional thing, but often it is financially very costly to just close a business. It's yeah. not that simple to just say, well, this thing's not working for me. I'm now done. So if you want to go insolvent, if you want to sequestrate a business, you need to go and look and understand very clearly what the cost implications are going to be there. What is it going to be? What are the implications for the business and for you as the person that may have signed sureties, for you as the owner, the shareholder, the member, whatever form of business you have set it up in. So, so that is the technical aspect. And anyone that thinks that they may want to throw in uh, uh, the, the blanket there and, and, and don't want to continue trading would have to take that into account and would have to get professional advice on that and see what are the implications if we are going to do this. Because you also have to understand that you're going to have to deal with labor. So you've got your retrenchments and the CCMA and your uh, maybe your unions. And so there's a lot of issues around labor, around tax, and around law. And that's a whole te technical beast that sometimes when you're already punch drunk and emotional, that's something you just cannot actually deal with. And you're going to have to get a professional to deal with that. Mm. Um, on the emotional side, there's a few questions for me. Sometimes what happens as a business owner, the business we're now running is so far removed from the business we started and wanted to run. And we need to take a step back and go, is this business still serving my why? Why did I start this business? Why did I want to do this? What was the legacy I wanted to leave behind? Is this business A still doing that for me? Is this still in line with my values and my morals and my true norm? Because every person, you can change your likes and dislikes over years, but your ingrained values and your value system and your morals is going to stay there. Now, for instance, you know, people often say they have to sell their soul. Hmm. If you are in business and every single morning you have to sell your soul, it will eat you alive. And that business is no longer serving your values. You are no longer within your true north, which means you'll be a, you'll be a husk of a person. You'll become miserable, depressed, and will no longer serve its purpose. Hmm. That's also when you need to say, well, whether it's financially viable or not viable, is irrelevant at that point. It is, is this serving my values? And that happens, I suppose, when you have a certain level of emotional intelligence. Because for some people, 
maybe the, the inner peace is more important than just the money. For other people, the money is the higher value. It depends on what your values are. But when you get to a stage where on a financial point of view, you can no longer save that business, then you need to look at enrolling the services of a professional that can look at the technical aspects of wrapping that business up. Mm. But there are other solutions as well. You could, for instance, sell off components. You could, for instance, bring in partners, you know, um, so you could sell out a, a part of your business. Let's say, for instance, you are brilliant at designing new ideas, components, whatever, but you really are not great at business. That's mm. not your forte. But you can come up with ideas like it's no one's business. Great. Then bring in a partner that is the business-minded person. You continue doing the ideas and someone else behind you can do the actual business components yeah. of it. And you could save the business like that. You could get back into flow. You could get back to your true north. And the other person can do what they love because they don't want to come up with clever ideas. Mm. They don't want to go out and market and get in front of people. They just want to sit in a dark office like a mushroom and do business. (laughs) So I think that's what's important is to understand that we all serve a particular purpose and, and have a certain contribution in our business. And we need to stay in line with that. I, for instance, had businesses in the past where um, clients of mine were manufacturing certain components and they were doing relatively well. But what would happen is, no word of a lie, in the one year we had so many strikes. Um, I can't remember what year it was. It's probably about five years ago now. So they were first hit. I think it was a like a fuel strike or it was a, a trucking strike with the fuel. There was this whole thing where we were struggling with fuel. Mm. Then there was the unions were striking with manufacturing. Then there was a problem getting his parts from the harbors to the factory. So this man was in a permanent situation of unable to get his parts trade a manufacturer for probably seven months. Of that year. And because we were doing his trusts and his estate and everything, he came to me and said, okay, now we need to make a plan. And literally, there was a choice. Either we completely close the business and he's going to have to go and find a new thing to do or we need to rethink this. And this is what happened. We closed the actual manufacturing here in South Africa and they went over to, I don't know which country, sourced the parts. They got a manufacturer in that country. The parts were manufactured there, and from there, it was then um, transported to their customers directly. So literally, him and his son were the only two people in the business operating from home, and all they had to do was pull all the various strings for one part to become a big part to land up with the right customer. And what they were doing before is they were bringing in all the parts, manufacturing, blah, 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 and dealing with staff. And unfortunately, yes, so... People lost their jobs. Um, obviously, a factory became dormant, empty. Holding was now empty because now he was operating from home. But not only does he, did his business survive, he thrived. He was making a lot more money. He had a lot more free time and he was going on a lot more holidays. So sometimes it looks like there's just no way out. And because you are caught up in it and you become stable, blind and punch drunk from just taking so many hits, You need to get out of it or Mm. you need to deal with someone that can be completely unemotional and look at the actual facts and see what we can do. And then, yeah, if if it's time to call it a day, what are your options? Because I think that's also the hardest part is... Sometimes you, you're holding on so tight because you think you don't have any other options. Mm. Well, if I close this business, how am I going to survive? How am I going to put food on the table? You know, if you don't have any energy and you're always operating on adrenaline and you're always in fight mode, 
how are you gonna come up with new ideas and how are you going to find something else to do? Yeah, yeah. So does that does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you. <laughs> so before you get to that kind of critical stage where you have to make that decision, how do you as a business owner spot an issue that could lead you down to that critical point where, you, you're, where you're making that decision? I suppose, you know, with all the challenges that a business owner faces, especially in the climate at the moment, it's very difficult. That's a difficult question to answer. But is there a way to spot an issue while it's still small? Because it's obviously better to sort an issue out while it's small before it blows up and becomes this critical business threatening issue yes i think for me um my natural go-to because i just love me a little sum is always what are my figures telling me really nothing excites me more than a graph and a figure <laughs> um, but that's not the same for everyone else out yeah. there so if you don't like figures and you don't like graphs and it puts the fear of life itself in you Find someone that does understand these figures and that can tell you in layman's terms what these things tell you and where the emergency problems are. So understand what your figures tell you. But here's another big thing. People are so busy working in their businesses, they never work on their businesses. So really, for me, it's so important that at least every three months, three to four months, have a date with yourself. Take a day or two days out of your business, block it out. You are nowhere to be found, and you work on your business. You need to look at, are we still in line with our strategy? What are my figures telling me? What is the manufacturing, if it's manufacturing? What is my stock? Go and see where are the anomalies? What is working? What is not working? Work with a business analyst or business coach, if that's what you need to do, to understand and and, and, um, surround yourself with someone that asks the hard questions, that makes you think a bit so that you can go and pinpoint. Because when we are forever in survival mode or, you know, like I always used to say to my clients, you go do business, I'll do laundry, which meant like I will sort out these back end things, then you go and run and do your business. When you're always in that business mode, you're never doing the laundry. And and I think that's the, the important part. And another thing that I see is often like, mm, yeah, we'll get to it. Heat customer feedback. Because, yes, you will get customers that just love themselves a good compliment. That's what gets them out of bed in the morning. That's what keeps them going, you know, value that. I always used to say to my, my staff in my previous company, be so grateful and value those very difficult and I don't ever want to deal with them. Oh, my goodness, it's them on the phone again, clients. Because without those clients, you cannot value and appreciate the good clients you have. Yeah. And the fun clients you have. Learn from those clients and understand that if this person's complaining and if you're getting the same complaint more than once, go and see what the merit is in that. Go mm. and investigate. Is there really merit in what this person is saying? And sometimes, let's say for instance, in, in my previous company, clients were complaining that they weren't getting their financials quick enough. You know, I give you the information and I don't get my financials. But here's what we found. We would send clients literally, no word of a lie, they would get an email every month saying here's what we need the list of information then the client will send you you send them a list of 20 information things they will send you two you send back an email you go i confirm receipt of these two things i however need these 18 things they'll send you one more thing you say thank you but i still need the other 17 what do they do they now send you number one and number two again you go no but you've seen that before and this was going back and forth and back and forth and then what happens 
Now September comes and it's now suicide season in accounting because now SARS wants that. And now since April, you've been saying to me, if I don't have your stuff by 1 July, we're not going to have time to finish your work. So you're going to be late and you're going to pay penalties in England. Now the client says, yeah, but I sent you the stuff 28 July. And by 1 September, you had better have my stuff. <laughs> you know? so, so that when you see that those are problems, we need to see, okay, what can we do to fix this problem? Do we need to educate our clients? Okay, how do we educate our clients because the emails aren't working? Should we maybe shoot a little education video where we can say to clients, listen, when we tell you about a bank statement, this is actually why we need it. This is what we need. Can we do it to make it fun? Mm. So some clients will read, some clients want to watch a video, some clients maybe want to listen to a podcast. Can we do something to maybe educate our clients? What is it that we can do in the business to make our own lives easy? And that's what I'm talking about is go and see when there are continuous stumbling blocks. What can we do to remove it? Yeah. And it's, sometimes it's not what we're doing. It's just how it is received out mm. in the market. So how do we change that? I found working in corporate, you would often get told what to do, but getting the why behind it often gave context as to why you were supposed to be doing that what. And, uh, you know, you were saying out into the market, you know, explain your why. I think if you are working with other people, that why is also quite important within the context of the business as well. People need to understand why they are doing what they are doing. 100%. And you know, what, what I found, and, and I was guilty, you know, I did it um, on, on Monday. I've had this poor lady trying to get two documents from me, and it wasn't difficult. It was a copy of my ID and a copy of the company bank statement because she needed to do something for my company. Mm. Shame. And this poor lady has been chasing me with emails and then she'll phone me. I'll go, I'm sorry, I'm now here, I'm now there. I promise I'm going to get it to you. And not because I didn't want to give it to her, but then, you know, the next thing happens and the next thing happens. And when you are dealing with business owners, that's the story of your life. You must understand they are busy running their businesses. What you are wanting from them is like a little dog yapping at the ankle. They'll get to him. <laughs> so what I would do then, and, and so I said to her, you know what you need to do? Is you're going to phone me and whilst you're on the phone, I'm going to do it. She said, okay. So she put me down on the phone. She said, okay, I'm waiting. I'm yeah. being in front of your computer. I said, yes. She says, open the mail. Okay, go find your copy of your ID. Literally, she held on until I gave her those two documents. But it's happened and it's done. And I was, I said to her, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so sorry for messing you around. And because she's worked with me in the past, she knew I wasn't trying to blow her off. I wasn't trying to be stupid with her. It was just literally one of those things that just, it, you know, it just <laughs> didn't happen. And there's no excuse. There's no excuse for my rude behavior to her. And, and that's sometimes what we need to do. If, it, if it's a big enough client, and you need two or three documents from them, you go, listen, can I phone you? And then whilst I'm holding on, let's quickly do that. Yeah. And sometimes that person will value that because they'll go, oh, thank you so much for taking the time. If you hadn't done this now, I would have never gotten around to it. So it's, it's just sometimes what can we do different? It's, you know, it's not time weekends together. It's what service can we offer? What we tend to forget is there are many people in many fields that can do what we can do. People will deal with who they like and trust. And it's, what can you do different? If everyone out there is doing bookkeeping, how many people are out there doing business optimization for argument's sake? Mm. Um, but do you resonate with that person? Do you feel that there's an energy with that person that could perhaps help you? That do you think that, yes, you know what, I really think that I would like to spend some time with this particular person, that this person would value my needs and that this person could actually bring about change for me. Mm. Yeah. I think that's what we sometimes need to, how can we do it differently? What, how can we be of service without being, you know, a martyr? We want to be of service and because 
you know, also if we don't earn, we can't be of service. So there's also the quick pro quo. Just on that point, in terms of differentiating yourself in the market, a lot of people are very price driven. I've spoken to a lot of business owners that basically say, you're a new business. So in terms of differentiating, they kind of have all told me you have to come in at a low price point because you don't have an established base. But I don't want to be charging uh, on a level that, you know, I can't make ends meet at the end of the day. Like you say, you, you, you have to be putting food on the table while you are differentiating mm -hmm. yourself as well. Do you have any personal advice on how to tackle this issue? Where do you come in terms of finding the balance between the rates that you charge and trying to make an impact in the market while differentiating yourself, but trying to keep your pricing so that people can afford you? Valid, valid question. I think for me, there's, there's two things here that one looks at. It's not just price. The first thing for me is your ideal client. And yeah, blah, blah, fish paste. You can do all the diagrams and you can do all the things. When I look at my ideal client, for me, the first thing, and this is what I tell all businesses that I work with, I always say to them, hold on a minute, make a list for me of when you look at the client that you love the absolute most, the person that you will bend over backwards for, the person that you'll do anything for, or the person that you wish you had, this is what, what would you want in your ideal client? I want a list of the characteristics of what is it that's in that person that you love so much? Why is it that you love dealing with that person? Then I want you to make a list of that person that every time the phone rings, the clouds come over. And you just, oh, no, you, you wish that ESCOM would cut all power so that the line could cut. And you don't <laughs> want to deal with this. Yeah. And, you know, like you want to rip your hair out and throw ash on your clothes. And <laughs> what, what is it in that person that triggers these feelings? Because the only reason you don't want to deal with that person is because that person triggers something in you. What is that? What, what behavior in that person tells you, I don't like that person, I don't want to deal with it. And then you've got the in-between behavior that is neither here nor there. It doesn't make you happy, doesn't make you sad, it's like whatever. Once, you've, once you understand that, you need to make a list for yourself and you need to put it where you can see it to say, this is what I want. This is the, These are the type of customers I want to attract. I want them to have the following. Any client I want to deal with must have at least minimum these three or five criteria. And then with the people I will absolutely not touch with a 10-foot barge pole, these are the criteria. If they display any of this behavior, I'm not going near them. I don't want to deal with them. And you don't have to justify that to anyone else. Because once you understand clearly who you want to deal with and who you don't want to deal with, there's an energy shift. And you're putting it out there in the universe. And I'm a true believer of the universe will give you what you ask for. <laughs> because at the end of the day, especially now with, uh, with this added pressure of COVID-19, people are feeling desperate where they almost feel like, well, I must take a buck where it comes from. Yeah. And I must do business with everyone. But unfortunately, what happens is, you know, they, they say money is not evil. What it does is it's put a spotlight on who you are, your true nature. So if you're a nice person, it will bring the nice out. If you're not so, such a nice person, it will bring the not so nice out. Now, COVID has done the same. Mm. It will really spotlight the cracks in character, if one can call it that. Mm. Or it will highlight the real positive characters in people. And I think once you've got that list and you clearly understand who it is you want to and not want to deal with, that is a starting point for me before you even look at price. Because I don't care what your price is. If there's a person that's on that list that I don't want to deal with, I don't care what you want to pay me.
Because at the end of the day, for my true north and for my morals and for my ethics, I'm sorry, I can't deal with you. Mm. I'm not going to deal with you. But that's just me. It's not to say that that's how it works for everyone else. I just know what's important for me to get out of bed in the morning. So that for me has always been, and I have found when I've done that with my clients and they've sat down and they've made that list, we then start culling where we've got those clients that are that 80-20, you know, those clients that are just taking 80% of your time, 80% of your trouble and giving you even less than 20% of your income. When you start culling, some of those clients, it naturally opens space for nicer clients to come. And and it has. I've seen it firsthand how that literally makes a change on a client base. Okay. So that's the first thing I would want to recommend, and that takes no money to do. The other thing is understand what your product is that you are selling. So, yes, if you are, for instance, a macro or a retail store that sells on price and look at the client that you have, they are buying on price. If you are not a price-driven product, then don't play in that field. So certain people would have to do that. So, for instance, if I am selling Panado tablets and Panados are Panados are Panados, people will either buy it as convenience because it happens to be on the shelf and they're buying other things or they may be price-driven. So that's a convenience factor or a price-driven factor. So, you know, it's not about loyalty. It's not about what the tablet's going to do for you. They've established that years ago. I found that when you are trying to sell a service, maybe such as yours, such as mine, when I say to people, well, you know what, I can do this business optimization for you, and this is my price, and they say to me, no, well, they can get it cheaper somewhere else. Either it is because they're not my ideal client, or they don't understand the value I can add. So my question is, is your client clear on your value add? Because, for instance, delivering a set of financial statements for your business. A financial statement is a financial statement. They all come from the same sort of same templates, but it's the, the, um, the acumen, the knowledge that goes into it, the understanding that when you do it wrong, what it can cause. It's the tax planning that goes with it. It is the education that comes from that document back to the business owner. Mm. So what goes with that set of financials? What is the add-on benefits of that document? What what would differentiate you in the market? So for me, I believe that when people just go no on the price, but you know it's your ideal client and you know that you can make a difference here, then I think the problem is the fact that they're not clear on your service. They're not clear on what is in it for them. Does that make it clear? You yes. know, like, so what are they going to walk away with? Yeah. How yeah. is this going to change their life? How is this going to be a benefit to them? You know, when you buy a pen, you know what you're going to get. But when you say, I'm going to do copy for you, what is the benefit that they're going to get from that? And if they can clearly understand that. So, yes, there may be because you may not be that established in the market. There may be a component of, yes, you, you might have to go in cheaper. But really, are you attracting the kind of candidates that you want to work with when you do that? Yeah. And understand that when you go in on a cheaper rate and you then want to build up your prices later, you may now lose ideal clients that you've worked with for a period of time because you just want to push up your prices because they're going to go, but you've done it at this price for so long, why must I now all of a sudden pay more? How's that work? You're not doing any more work for me. You're not doing anything different for me. Why must I now pay you more? So that's a very slippery slope also when you now decrease your prices and now you want to go and increase your price on grounds of what you're increasing. So that is also something you need to look at. So I do think that it is a matter of the value add and, and not what you perceive the value to be, but 
really what is the value that the other person can see in you? Does that help you? Yes, it does. I don't have a business qualification. And there's so much conflicting information out there as well. You read one business book, it tells you one thing. and You read another one, it tells you something else. You read a, a blog, it tells you a third thing. So it's it's nice to speak to people who have actually been through the process and understand the process to, to kind of find your your niche and your own way um, in, in how you do things. So yes. That's a very long answer to uh, your question. Yes, that helped. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, maybe on that, I think that is why I, I I want people to understand that what I do is customized per individual, per business that I work with, because every single business I work with is different. And it's different because not of the industry it's in, but because of the warm bodies I work with, mm-hmm. their experiences and their value adds. So at of the day I could work with 10 different electrician companies and I would have to treat each and every one of them differently and I've had people say to me but you are all about systems and processes why can't you just develop something that'll work for all of them and I go because for me to optimize a business I don't think that's possible not for me to add the value that I want to add the change that I want to see out there in the world yes I've got my online programs where I take people through managing money for small businesses. And I've got another one, which is called Business Solution Simplified, which is looking at not only the financial components, but also the HR components and the contracts and everything that you need to run a, a little bit bigger company, you know, mm. staff and about 10 and more. But that's the programs. And I've taken people through those programs. And, you know, I'm so grateful for the opportunity I had to take students through those programs because it has changed their lives. Mm. But what was the bigger impact was the fact that we could sit one-on-one and I could also guide them and coach them and mentor them. So I think it is, it's a very unique thing. Um, I've had the the honor and the privilege of literally writing exams for 18 years nonstop. I just, mm. I'm one of those people that when I don't have work to do, I go and find something to study because that's my happy space. You know, if my nurse is in a book, I don't have to talk to people. Yes. So I'm very happy. And, uh, you know, like other people have children. So, you know, when, you, when you're when at a function and people go, oh, I need to go home, the children, the children. Yeah. For me, it was always, oh, no, I've got an assignment to an exam, I have to go. <laughs> I can use that excuse, you know. <laughs> love to accumulate all this knowledge from all over different sources and it's very right what you say it's you'll read the same topic but this book and this book will tell you different yeah and i always say you know when i studied estates and when i studied tax and when i studied business it's like oil and water what you study in the books and what's happening in practice it's like oil and water never the two shall meet eh? yeah whatever they say in an estate book or in a tax book these shall do that it doesn't work like that in practice. Mm-mm-mm, don't even try. So if you're not going to do it firsthand, if you're not going to get your hands dirty, I don't think it's going to work. And the most successful business owners I've worked with have been the guys that had absolutely no business qualifications. They were the guys that had a brilliant idea, a superpower with either getting it to market or connecting with people and with surrounding themselves with teams that could make it happen. Those were the most successful people that I have had the privilege of working with yeah. and taking their business behind. So, yeah, I think it's really just that. Now, you've mentioned uh, connecting with people, and I'm going to use that as a segue to come back to what we mentioned right in the beginning of our conversation about mindset. Obviously, part of being a business owner is networking. When you are networking as a business owner, chatting to other business owners and attending events and that kind of thing, often the term business mindset 
is is thrown around. Could you maybe delve into what an actual business mindset is? And then how do we go about kind of cultivating one in our own business? So for me, a business mindset is really, first and foremost, it's not just for businesses, for business owners. You can have a business mindset working for someone, being an employee, being a team member, or a business owner. And what it does is it actually sets you apart from the other players on the field. It's as simple as that. And for me, it's really things like, tenacity, resilience, the ability to to change agility. You know, how quickly can you change course? How willing are you to learn, to educate yourself and to change when change is required? How willing are you to acknowledge that maybe you don't know the best answer right now? Or can you look in the mirror and go, you know what, I was wrong in this instant. Can we fix it? And that to me is the business mindset. People that are blame shifting is not a business mindset. For me, it's that difference between, you know, my staff would come to me and go, you know what, we have a problem here. And my view was always, come to me if you've messed up. Tell me in advance so we can find a solution. Don't let it bite me in the backside. So we had that policy where if you've broken it, come tell me so we can fix it together. Don't let me find out after the fact. So I think it's, it's that. It's the fact that it doesn't matter. I always used to say to my team, you know what? When the tire is flat, I don't care how it got that way. We need to find a solution to fix it. It doesn't matter who caused the flat tire. We can deal with that later if it's something we need to deal with. But right now, right this instant, let's take ownership. Let's take it on the chin. Let's fix it and move on. And I think that's often the thing is that that to me is that business mindset is what do we need to do to get through this right now and move on? So how to cultivate that? I don't want to say you have it or you don't have it. But I do find that if you, you know, if you throw a bunch of people in the room, you are going to get leaders and you are going to get followers. And we can't lead if we don't have followers. Mm. We can't run a business if we don't have people willing to do the work with us. It's very difficult. Yes, we can have one-man businesses, but even a one-man business would have to rely on other parties to do certain work, mm. whether it is your outsourcing. Like for me, I sit in my cave all day and do very heavy calculations, love mm. every minute. But man, when my IT goes down, ITOP is on speed dial. Without mm. ITOP, I'm dead in the water. Yeah. So, you know, it's like having the collaborations with people that you know you need to work with. So whether you're a one-man show or whether you have a team of 100 people, it is how do you lead that team? Mm. So... The, the business mindset is more about emotional intelligence for me. It is more about that agility, about put on the big boy panties <laughs> and get on really. Um, like you're saying, networking is so important. And yes, I agree with you 100%. I mean, you can be the brainiest person with the best product out there, but if no one knows about you, no one's going to buy from you. Mm. So for me, I'm actually quite an introvert. And I prefer spending time on my own, doing research, doing calculations, and I will speak to those that speak to me. But would I go out in the market and go and speak to people first? No. So you would very seldom, if ever, see me at a networking event. I find that if I am going to be at a networking event, people may actually find me quite aloof because I'm not going to approach anyone mm. to speak to them. But if they spoke to me first, I just love speaking to them. So then in that case, isn't it better to get the right people to get me in front of other people? So now again, <laughs> surrounding yourself with the right people. And that 
it is a business mindset. It is the ability to find solutions and often finding a solution before the problem is there. So it's really just that think on your feet, taking ownership, taking charge, leading, but first and foremost, serving. And I think people have sometimes a negative connotation when you say be of service. People have a negative connotation thinking, Mother Teresa, um, I, I must just give and never get. Um, it's just charity, charity, charity. That's not what being of service in my mind means. In my mind, it is when you are doing something, it is for the greater good. It is, yes, at the end of the day, if I'm going to be doing business optimization, for sure, I want to have money in my pocket because if my failure, my inability to succeed helps no one. So mm. if I'm not earning money, I can't carry on and I can't make other people succeed. So you, you need to be successful in your own right. But for me, when I deal with a business owner, there is nothing that lights me up than to actually see that light bulb moment. I call it the donuts there. You know, when you start speaking to someone and it's like glazed over hollow inside. It's like nothing's <laughs> making sense. Yeah. Or my other one, it's like herding cats. The person's all over the place. Yeah. And you need to like just, let's like just, let's calm down. Let's like focus a bit. And then like 15 minutes later, half an hour later, all of a sudden you've got focus, you're collaborating, you've got ideas. You're like, okay, we looked at this and you're finding solutions. That lights me up like nothing else. And that's why I do what I do. That's the service. Yeah. So it's finding your service. What is the you? What is your service? And that's what's going to be your business and your business mindset. Um, so I can't really say it's the putting on the suit and being professional. And I think nothing else COVID has also brought about that you don't have to be in a suit at the time to do business. Mm. You know, it's become a lot more relaxed in the last three months, what I've seen from business owners, you know, and kids are running behind you whilst you're yeah. trying to have business. Business on the top and lockdown on the bottom. I won't show you what yes. I'm wearing. Um, these tracksuit pants are a little bit dodgy, but, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that for me is in a nutshell what a business mindset is. Mm. It's, it's really just big boy panties and off you go. Cool. <laughs> we have been going for, for over an hour, so I think maybe um, to, to end off with a quick fire round. First question, define success. Wanting what you get. So oh. often we, we're chasing, you know, like, and, 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 and we're hoping to get what we want. And, mm. you know, it's like the dog chasing a tire. And then once you got that tie, it's like, mm, okay, but this is not what I want anymore. You've mm. been chasing it so hard, and by the time you get it, you're not so sure that's what you want anymore. Yeah. So I really think that wanting what you get is is one of those things. Mm. And the other thing for me is really what is the positive impact my product or my service is 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 going to leave out there? What improvement am I leaving out there? So mm. for me, every night it's it's a it's a temperature test. How did I leave it better than I found it this morning? That to me, that's my success. Um, other people will have other measures of success. But for me, because I'm, I'm, I'm an achiever mindset, I look at the end of the day and my achievements are set in, how did I make it better? How did I leave it better than I found it? Oh, interesting. So interesting answer. Me, yeah. <laughs> how do you usually start your day? Okay, so for me, actually, in order to start my day, I first need to finish off the previous day properly. So what I do um, every afternoon or evening before I leave my office, I make sure that I check my, my diary. And I used to try and only do the, the, the outlet calendar, but I find I prefer working in a paper diary still. I've got a big A4 paper diary. And I write not only 
my 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 meetings in there, but I've got on the right hand side my little to do list that I want to get done the next day. And on a Monday, I've got my weekly to dos and my little tick sheets and um, my my moments, you know, my my achievements for the day that's written in there. Mm. So for me, um, I want to finish off the the office day, the business day, by just going through my calendar checking where I am for the week, am I getting somewhere with what I wanted to set up for the week, what have I done for the day, what is tomorrow going to look like, because that sets my mind, and how am I going to enter my day tomorrow, Mm. and then tonight when I go to bed, the last thing for the day is my little gratitude list, list. I go through and it's like, what are the things that I'm grateful for, and I try and always have my gratitude list, like new things, different things, Mm. not my 10 usual suspects, Um, and then in the mornings when I wake up, I now no longer have that get out of bed, fly out of bed thing. I wake up and then my mind catches up. <laughs> and I um, basically go through my gratitude list again um, and try again and not have the usual suspects. I always try and throw in a new thing there and, and just lie there and, and think of the blessings that we all have and that we may have a warm bed to mm. sleep in and that we have the privilege of a warm jersey or a warm jacket to put on when it's really chilly outside. Um, I, I think that it's so important to just have some gratitude for what we do have because, man, if we wanted to really sit and complain about what we don't have, we would be busy for days on end. Mm. I then will run through my to-be and to-do list. Uh, because often we, you know, at the end of the day, we're not human doings. We are human beings. And, and we also need to have a little to-be list. Mm. So I think that's important. And then I think for, for anyone that have any thoughts of dealing with me, nothing before seven or the first cup of coffee. No, that's a danger zone. <laughs> nothing before seven. I must have my first cup of coffee. <laughs> coffee activates the brain. And, and, you know, I don't know about your morning routine, but for years and years, I really tried the 5 a.m. scene. Mm. You know, I, I have read so many things, like you say, all these business books that go, no, for you to be a success in business, you have to get up at 5 a.m. and you have to run around and you have to do all these exercises and blah, 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 blah. And man, did I try. But my brain only activates itself. Yeah. So when I try and wake up at five, man, there's nothing that makes me more miserable quicker than trying to wake up at five for a couple of mornings. Yeah. I will now only wake up at five if I have to catch an international flight going on holiday. <laughs> Other than that, it ain't happening. Yeah. I won't even get up at five for a business trip. It yeah. ain't happening. Yeah, I think that for me is, is, is my morning routine is then to just run through my day gently. And, and being kind, of, that's my me time. Between like seven and nine is like my me time. My my favorite place is inside my head. So I have long conversations with myself. <laughs> and just running through what needs to happen, structuring, organizing. And I think that's maybe another point is we all re-energize differently. Some mm. of us need alone time. Some of us need people time. Mm. Some of us need sport Whatever it is you need to re-energize yourself and whatever time of the day you need to do that, I think it's important to work that into your routine, Mm. whether it is your morning, your afternoon routine. But also be cognizant of the fact that whoever else is in your life, be it your life partner, your children, your business partner, whoever your closest, nearest and dearest are, 
also understand what is their re-energized program. Mm. Because if you've got a person that needs peopling and talking, and the other person needs me time and silence, you need to find a happy medium. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll drive one another nuts. Yeah. And you'll, you will actually land up feeling um, like you're doing something wrong when you can't find a, a, a medium. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that's really my, my morning pattern is, is the silence and the, just being in my head and, and, and energizing myself yeah. and being grateful. It's, it's interesting that you say you can't get up at five. For many years, my entire working life, when I was working for a, a, a boss, I would often be at work by six or half past six. And so I'm working on myself. I just cannot get myself going in the morning. And I don't know if it's like that switch has flipped. Mornings are still my most productive time and my, my, my ideas generating time. But holy cow, I can't get up. And, and quite rightly, I, I think somebody posted a, a book. Uh, someone I follow on Instagram posted a book, The Golden Hour. And like all about how you're supposed to be getting up at five. And, you know, it, it gives you, if you do it consistently, it gives you an entire extra month within the year that you can be working but I don't know I just feel like you should be balancing out with your personality like you quite rightly said um, what energizes you if you're not energized at five o'clock in the morning it's not really going to help you getting up at that time so yeah <laughs> so, so that's what I was finding because I mean although I was waking up at five between five and seven I wasn't productive I couldn't think I couldn't even read an email I couldn't do journaling. I, I tried everything. I tried journaling. I tried reading. I tried studying. I tried, okay, let's answer emails. I, I was trying all different things to see what could I do in that mm. time. And then I found but it, what, it's, what it was doing was leaving me far more exhausted and grumpy and, and really not happy. I was far less productive. Where I'm more of a, um, okay, from 11 o'clock till about 7 o'clock at night, man, I can literally sit down in one shop and just concentrate nonstop. I don't have to get yeah, up. I yeah. don't have to talk. I don't have to move. I can really just sit down and concentrate, and yeah. that really works for me. Yeah. Um, where my husband, literally, at 4.30 every morning, he's like a Jack Russell, bounces out of bed, then he goes running eight kilometers, then he's here, then he's there. Like, by 7 o'clock, he's already like, are you up? Are you up? Oh, yeah, because <laughs> he's up for half the day already. Yeah. But that's him. I don't stand it. At 4.30, the oak's like, bling, and he's wide awake. It's not like me. My alarm must go off. Then I must like, first think about being up. I've tried. I've tried everything, but that's obviously not how my mind works. <laughs> you can't force yourself into that mold either. So um, no. you have to just go with your own natural rhythms, I suppose. That's it. Yeah, so what I wanted to say to all of those people that feel that because they are also maybe not part of that 5 a.m. club, that doesn't determine your success. You can <laughs> be greatly, greatly successful without waking up at 5 a.m. Yeah. It's refreshing to hear someone say that, so thank you. <laughs> Third question, what do you do when you're not working on your business? So, yeah, I think a truth time. Until I stepped out of my previous business, the only thing I ever did was work because I had such a passion and I really love work, the, the work that I do, I should say. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's only work when you don't love what you do. Mm. So I just loved it so much that it was all I ever did. And I was doing it from the crack of dawn until late at night and then coming home and doing some more of it. And literally, I got to a stage where I never saw the light outside. I never walked on the lawn during summer. So it was really, really rough, I think, on my family, but 
also on me. I didn't realize it. And then, unfortunately, you get to a stage where you are on burnout. Mm. And you suffer adrenal fatigue. Mm. And I realized that's it. And that's also that was also a contributing factor to why I decided, no, I sold out and I thought there must be a different life. And I walked away from a very, very lucrative business where I was earning really well, traveling overseas twice a year. I was really printing money. Mm. But the money wasn't buying me more hours in the day. It wasn't buying me quality time with my family. Um, I would travel, but what would happen is I would be dead on my feet for the first four days, whichever venue I got to. So I would travel to all these exclusive places in the world, but for the first four days, five days, I was dead on my feet. I wouldn't appreciate it anyway. Yeah. Um, and then when I stopped, when I sold my shares and I stopped and I started um, Noble and I decided, you know what, I'm going to work at my terms and the hours that I want to work and I was really taking a lot of time and it was rough eh? it was so hard for me to not work and to take weekends off because I wasn't used to doing that mm-hmm. I, I spent a lot of time still studying because I, I had been studying whilst running businesses but now it was more things that energized me so I studied more photography and I spent a lot of time doing photography and I spent more time traveling uh, thanks COVID now I haven't been able to travel <laughs> So, yeah, I, I, I do that. I, I, I watch a lot of documentaries because I like still the educational side of things. So mm. I, I attend a lot of classes for various topics. I find I'm more energized when I can educate myself. So that mm. is my free time is education and reading. Yeah, so that's really what I do. I read, I do photography, I, I travel. Most of my activities, I must admit, is solitude. It's it's things that I can do on my own. Even yeah. when I travel, um, because I'm behind the camera, I find it still, I, I do it on my own. I'm, I may be traveling with someone, but a much of that time I go and walk around in places on my own, immerse myself, take photos. So yeah, that's, uh, I prefer that. And think up, and think up plans of how I can fix other people's businesses. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you, you're never not working because uh, being in the creative field, all of my non-work-related activities are still in the creative mm-hmm. space. I'm always creating, so I might not be writing, but it's – so everything kind of links back, I think, to your business. Um, you, yeah. It's difficult to take a break completely and, and detach. Yeah, but I think it's just that I've made a very um, active decision where I now – when it's when it's home time because my house my office is removed from my house, mm. um, I, I lock the office. I don't take my laptop downstairs. I've I've got my iPad and that's I have made a, a point. I don't do work on it. It's really just to to watch classes on. So I'll attend classes on it and I will read on it and um, things like that. So I really try and separate my work. Where I sometimes still stumble is when I want to do photo editing because I prefer doing my photo editing in my office because I've got nice big screens and I've got specific screens for photo editing. Yeah. Um, and that obviously happens on my computer because of the memory and the speed at which it works. Yeah. So, um, yeah, then sometimes I, I may sneak into a bit of a business <laughs> mode, but I do try not to. <laughs> what do you rely on for continued learning? So, Basically, I'm a member of various accreditation bodies. So from coaching to tax to business um, to um, trusts in the state. So I, I belong to various bodies. And because of that, I need to complete various CPD points, the continuous mm. professional development points every year. So I literally do weekly uh, webinars um, and workshops. 
I read a lot of the newsletters, the articles that are posted to stay on top of my education there. I do weekly classes. I mean, last night I did a, a photography class. Tonight I'm doing another photography class. So I do a lot of evening classes. Um, um, I do um, on YouTube. I'll, I'll watch some documentary things as well. I enjoy tech talks as well. Mm. Um, and then um, specific websites. That would be more for my research. Um, but the research is, uh, of course, also still educational. Yeah. So a lot of my research would be on the various tax and legal websites and research websites uh, that I use. So, yeah, that is really where I do my my, my my research and my education. But nothing excites me more than a new tax book. Oh, and I want it in paper. I can't do these electronic books. I want me a proper paper book that I can color in and I can write in and I can tag. Oh, it excites me to know in when I get a new tax book. <laughs> I have a feeling that um, if we were in high school together, I would have been copying your accounting homework. You know, when, when I had my certified financial planning exams, literally people would come up to me, people I'd never met before, and they'd go, are you the lady with the pink books? And I'd go, that's me, because I'd covered my, I had these black hardcover books, and I'd covered them with the pink, um, you know that DC fix type stuff that you can cover your shelves and stuff? Yeah, like? yeah, yeah. But it happened to be pink and it looked like sweets or something. And word had gotten out to all the Bloemfontein, we, we studied through the Bloemfontein varsity, Free State varsity, that apparently the girl with the pink book, she had all the notes. And people used to come to me and they used to take photos with their cell phones of my book. I'm like, okay, cool, because I'd made all the notes. So yes, I was with the books from CFP. Final question. If you could give your 20-year-old self one piece of advice, knowing what you know now, what would it be? Oh, geez, like, don't take it so seriously. Have some fun. Um, you know, I, my grandmother raised me with this, oh, oh, what will the people say? You know, I was raised like that. And for me, I remember, I started working when I was 17, so I finished matric early, and there was no money for me to go to university. So I started working, you will not believe, in the post office training academy. Yeah, I was going to learn how to put a stamp properly. So that's where I started out. So don't let anyone tell you you can't be a success in business. And uh, yeah, so so I, uh, I so seriously, I wish you to think, you know what, if this had to land up in the newspaper, what will it look like? What are people going to think if they read this in the newspaper? No. I took myself so seriously, probably because I was 17 years old, I came to Joburg on my own and people thought I'd run away from home because I was tiny, I was small in stature, I was fierce, I was not going to take any trouble from anyone and I was going to find a job and make a living for myself. So I was a very serious little girl and um, I always did surround myself with much older people and peers, people who I could learn from. I I always had this yearning to to just learn and grow and be better. And for me, every year in December, is like stop that time. It's like, how have I improved this year? How have I changed? How have I become better? How have I made it better, like Mm. I said earlier? And um, yeah, so I would say, geez, like just have a bit of fun. And, um, And, you know, there is hope out there. Surround yourself with peers. Surround yourself with experts and people that can help you. You don't need to be an expert in everything. You cannot be an expert in everything. Find your own niche. Find what it is that is your superpower. What is it that you are great at? And 
outsource the rest. Find people that will support you and that can help you and can guide you and protect you. Because inherently, if you surround yourself with people that share your values and your true north, that's what will happen. If you if you surround yourself with the right people, you will have people that will have your back and you will have theirs. Mm. And where you may have a challenge, that may be their strength. And where they have a challenge, that may very well be your strength. So just surround yourself with people that um, can have your back, but also that are your peers and that you can learn. I find that business owners, not only now, but from my research over the last couple of years, I have found that business owners really suffer what I've termed emotional isolation. You know, you're so busy trying to get your business going and just forcing forward. And sometimes who who can you really talk to? You know, mm. you can't let your guard down. It's like like blood in the water for shots. You know, sometimes you have to always be strong. You have to be strong for your spouse. You have to be strong for your family. You have to be strong for your business partners. Who can you let your guard down for? So what I would like to say is for all business owners out there, surround yourself, create a group. And, and I'll give you two examples of what I've done. Is The one is um, I created a mastermind. Now, the mastermind was a group of people that I found would all be able to support one another, but really are people, again, that share my values, my morals, that, you know, we, we all have the same true north. We mm. all have the same passions, but we're all in very vastly different fields. So one is in marketing, one is in like financial planning, uh, the other one is in coaching. So we're all in different fields. And we created this mastermind. And the purpose of this mastermind is purely we get together once a month and it's really just a soundboard. What are you struggling with at the moment? Maybe, you know, uh, what are you finding is working? What is not working? It's there to just support one another, to see how we can help one another and just to hear one another. And it has been really, really great for all parties because it's a safe space where people can go. And it's not a complaint session. That's not what the purpose is. It's just a safe space where people can go, you know what, this is what I'm struggling with at the moment. How are you finding it out there? How are you dealing with this? Mm. It's to find solutions for one another. It's been really, really helpful. And obviously, you want to keep it very small, very intimate. Um, and not, you know, it's not supposed to be something that you're going to do with friends only. You want people that can hold you to account. You can even build an accountability thing in there mm. where you guys can say, well, listen, we want to have an accountability. So what is it that I want to achieve this month? I want to sign up three new clients for argument's sake. How are you going to do that? I'm going to do this and this and this. So next month when you check in, you had better have an answer. So that for, for business owners could be a really great help. And then the other dotted um, with the group, and that wasn't my brainchild, but I'm part of this group, and this has been also phenomenal, is we created this business group where um, each one of us uh, have a strength in our field of business, but we all happen to service the same clients. So, for instance, one person will have a client, and this person will have tax and accounting needs, they'll need trust things. They may need financial planning. They may need labor law and business law. They may need business optimization. Whatever it is this person may need. Uh, we've created a group of people that we trust and can cross-refer to and that work well, again, with the same value systems. And we've created that list of who will we work with, who will we not work with. So we've created a combined list and said, people, this is who we will work with in this group. In your business, you do what you want to do. 
But when we work in this group, this is how it is. This is the, uh, the rules of this group. And we cross-refer, and when we do cross-refer, there's also commissions payable to one another if there is a commission case. But what it is, is now you can say, listen, you are my client. I can now refer you to someone else where I know you're not leaving this warm, fuzzy circle. We mm. all love you. We're going to care for you. And you are giving your client an extended service. So you don't lose your client out of that circle. So that has also been phenomenal. Just creating that circle because clients love the fact that they've got, they still, let's say it's my client. They only have one go-to person, but now they can have seven different things sorted out. And of course the client, because I know I don't want to lose my client, I know all these people that I work with, they're accountable to me and mm. I'm accountable to them when I deal with their client. So for business owners out there, just to help with that isolation, do consider creating maybe a group where you can, we call it cross-pollinate, <laughs> where you can cross-pollinate with different services, but still the same client. And then, of course, having that mastermind, perhaps, if that is something that would work for you. It just goes a long way to just having your back. That's great advice. Thank you. Where can people get hold of you? So I do have a Linktree uh, Noble Prosperity link that you could probably post uh, in your podcast links. Yeah. And they can also email me on info at noblegroup.co.za. Or alternatively, just connect with me on LinkedIn. The first Friday of August, we want to go live with my podcast. So it's called Business Brainwaves. And it's really just trying to um, give people little tidbits on business, you know, like what's budgeting all about, what to look out for, and, and just talking about the different aspects in business. So we did a, a survey and asked people what are the kind of topics they would like to learn more about. So mm. I'm taking that and I'm just breaking it down and chatting more about that and explaining certain things. So it's really just educational, informational. Okay. Things. That's super interesting. Um, <laughs> I'd love to listen to someone oh, cool. like that. <laughs> oh, cool, cool, cool. Thank cool. you. Well, thank you, Renata. This has been um, a great chat. Um, thank you. I know that you're, again, like I say, super busy saving everyone's business, uh, especially now <laughs> during, during COVID. So thank you for taking the time to, to chat to me. It's been very valuable, and I'm sure that people listening are going to find it immensely valuable as well. So thank you so much. You're super stunning. And cool. I've really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thanks to the audience as well. I, I really hope that they can take some pieces of value out of this and that it can make a change for them in their businesses, really. I'm sure that they will. Thank you. Follow the Business of Podcast on my website, megamillist.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at Megamillist. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Megan Darcy, M-E-G-A-N-D apostrophe A-R-C-Y. Chat soon.